Welcome back to American Graffiti, one song at a time. I'm your host DJ Tierney Steele, and today I am joined by that notorious daredevil of the Movies by Minutes community, <laughs> Pete Mummert from Indiana Jones Minute. Hey, I, I can see myself flipping a car, but I don't know if intentionally. I, I love, because I sent you this clip and I was like, oh dear, I think I've given you literally the most stressful part of the movie. Well, it's funny because I don't drive, so it... it it actually is not stressful at all because I just walk by. Perfect. All right, good. <laughs> so uh, for those who don't listen to the Indiana Jones Minute, first of all, this podcast only exists because of that. So I think we've plugged you guys plenty of times this summer. But Thank uh, you. <laughs> it's it's a good time. Well, <laughs> Doris, Rachel, and I only know each other exist because of your show. So <laughs> 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 it kind of felt natural. Yes, you are... You are uh, I'm going to use the word notorious again for <laughs> referencing a mild anxiety disorder whenever Indiana Jones gets up to something, uh, <laughs> something frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you were not too distraught by the action of segment 49, which is the race. I really wanted to use the uh, title every episode is titled after a possible alternate title of the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I really wanted to give this one the fires of summer, the fire explosion. <laughs> but but one was the race, and I was like, if I put that on any other episode, yeah. people are gonna come for me. Yeah. So so this is it. This is the race. It is set to the soundtrack of Green Onions by Booker T and the MGs. This is the first segment that we get we got our guest for way back before this show was even definitely happening. I do believe we mentioned possibly doing American Graffiti and you said green onions. <laughs> <laughs> and here we all are <laughs> a year <Yeah>. later. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing you had seen this movie before. <laughs> yes. I, this is, I think an argument could be made that this is George Lucas's best film. And I'm, I'm, I love Star Wars. I like Star. I mean, I enjoy Star Wars more than this, but I think like from an art perspective and from a storytelling perspective, I think this is absolutely brilliant. Everything about this movie. I love it. I'm like really trying to think it through now. And and as someone who got really into the what Spiel, what is Spielberg's best movie uh-huh. <laughs> debate, because at the beginning of the summer, I was still doing This Means Something, which was a podcast on Close Encounters. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I stuck to my Jaws is the best guns, but that got harder as the show went on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that'd be a tough one for me. I, I, th- I think what I like about this is I like movies that feel like novels, that feel like literary novels. And this one definitely does. Yes. This is in that genre, the one crazy night, the kids becoming adults, mm-hmm. moving off into the world. And uh, this scene, however, has the exact opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's no longer night by the end of this scene. And Steve agrees to stay. <laughs> See, I, th- I, I think it's interesting, though, because I think this like this scene is the catalyst for the movie. Like this is what causes Steve to stay. And this is I like I I feel like this is what propels a lot of these people's futures right here like this one moment, which is amazing. This is definitely the climax of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my English minor brain is now spinning trying to remember what the heck it's called, you know, with the different hero's journey and all that uh-huh. good stuff. <laughs> well, can I can I just say that you did reference my mild anxiety disorder and right off the bat 
this makes me anxious because they're taking up both sides of their street and it's <laughs> like i like what if someone needs to get through but then there's a car like when they when they're driving on both sides of the street there's a car that kind of pulls around from behind bob's car and just drives off and i don't know if they're like marking the finish line or if that was just someone that got stuck behind oh. all these kids and is just leaving Okay, I love the headcanon that it is just a random person. Like, yeah, they're the like, who are these stupid kids? <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, I think it's much more likely that it's a spectator going ahead or something. But you don't see them again, though. It's the weird thing. Like, you don't see you them. You don't see any of these other cars. Yeah. Other than Steve driving up. And it, yeah. it frustrates me to no end because... It's like, where did all these people, you know, we saw everyone's coming out to watch, but then it's very, I, so you know what? That is going to propel me right into my first note, which is about the filming of this scene, which is very frustrating because as you can imagine, the lighting had to be just right mm -hmm. <laughs> and consistent. And so basically what they did was for like almost a week, they did one take of the crash per day at dawn. <laughs> So they would work all night and then at dawn they would go out and try to do this scene. And I say try because the problem was the car wouldn't roll. Huh. Bob Velfus Ford, you may have noticed that we see the car going down into the ditch and then it cuts to the side and the car is rolling. Yeah. This thing was so heavy. <laughs> and kudos to whoever built this road because it was very safe. Wow. It would just roll and they couldn't. I mean, George Lucas out there using all his racing knowledge. So basically what they did was they had the car go into the ditch and then they kind of like tipped it and started it. And then, you know, wow. used that to get it to actually roll over. So it came out. It looks great. It's yeah. very dramatic. Yeah. You can hear the frustration in George Lucas's voice on the director's commentary <laughs> that they ended up having to split it into two shots because mm. you can you can just hear he really wanted it. To work. Yeah. Yeah. He really wanted it to be that one shot where you saw it go off the road and then start rolling and it just never <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's interesting though cuz I like for some reason I think of Rebel Without a Cause when I think of this movie and I think about the the chicky run, the race where they they race towards the cliffs and they filmed that like part of it. I think they filmed like on like around Calabasas on the highways, but part of it, they filmed on a soundstage at Warner brothers. Huh. And I think one of the really beautiful things about American graffiti is how the whole thing is filmed like on location, basically like, you know, it's, it's not a lot of yeah. sets. It's really, it's in this scene. They do a very nice job. Like the location's spectacular. It feel. Yeah. When they show John, turning back around and green onions yeah. starts playing again that is such a good shot yeah and it, it looks like I, they filmed it in petaluma which is not the central valley but it looks like it could be anywhere in the central valley like it's just very quintessential like central valley california look it really it looks perfect that's excellent to hear because i know nothing everyone's describing like follow this road straight out of town and i grew up in new england where no road went straight <laughs> for more than two seconds so this is completely foreign to me. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that is kind of improvised, and I'm so mad because, spoiler alert, I've already recorded tomorrow's episode, and I can tell you I forgot to mention this in tomorrow's <laughs> episode. Uh, the aftermath of the race has a very improvised feel. You may notice mm -hmm. Laurie and Steve are kind of babbling. Yeah. That is because everything was, you know, like I said, being filmed at dawn. They would do these takes. The day that they ended up shooting this scene, what they used, Ron Howard and Cindy Williams were done for the day. 
Huh. You know, she'd done her look in the car or whatever, or whatever that day was, or full night. Uh-huh. They were done for the night, I should say. Um, they had changed out of their costumes. Wow. And were like walking out to the parking lot when all of a sudden someone came running out. I was like, get back in costume, get back in costume. <laughs> and ran out and did this. And um, I don't remember exactly where, or I don't know exactly where it was in the filming schedule. But I do know that uh, it must have been Charles Martin Smith admitting this uh, later that they're Terry and John's lines that you'll see tomorrow that I forgot to mention this with. I'm sorry, dear listener. Those lines, their conversation is like 90% improvised because they hadn't actually memorized the lines yet. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They thought they were going to get more, like they didn't realize we're doing this for real today, right now. So they're like, okay, um, I know I have (laughs) this line, so I'll just go off of based off of that. I feel like that that plays really well right here because it seems like it feels like everybody's in a state of shock. Like it feels like nobody's quite sure what's happening and everything feels frantic and scary. And Yeah. Lori saying the same thing about three different times makes perfect sense because that's all she can say. <laughs> yeah. And the way she's holding her hand up to her head and the... I, it's amazing. Like the way she plays this is amazing. I love that we're like working backwards through the scene. So <laughs> I do mention tomorrow that I was very confused because as a child, I was like, but John is ahead. Clearly, John was winning the race. And he says he wasn't. <laughs> but now, now as an adult who knows cars, I do see what he's talking about that Bob is, Felfa is kind of pulling even with him and then loses control of the car. Mm. The thing that bothered me way more than John's pessimism was. I did not know how to feel about Steve and Lori getting back together. Uh-huh. Even when I was a 17-year-old girl, I didn't know if I was pro this or not. And now in my late 30s, I still don't know because <laughs> th- they're not. I-, I mean, she's just had a near-death experience and that's why she just wants him to stay because he's a solid person that she's holding on to i guess i do love that she's like trying to kill bob falfa yeah that is, i love that too that is a great moment <laughs> <laughs> I, I think to me her reaction and his reaction play really well because i feel like like i had a question is is he seemed like he was you know a lot of the movie he was the guy that was going to get away it wasn't kurt like he's the guy that's going to go you know he's going to go mm-hmm. away and make a name for himself and do something special and he's getting out of this little town but you can see like He's got this uncertainty the whole time. And part of me wonders if he was just looking for a reason to get to stay. Like he's, you know, because I, I mean, having a mild anxiety disorder, I know what that's like. Like you want to take a chance, but you also, there's something about security and there's something like when things get really scary, you're like, well, I want to just have something to hold on to. And so for both of them, all of a sudden, here's that thing they can hold on to. Yeah. And I will say, I, I do like it in that it implies Steve has learned a lesson and that everything has fallen apart since he quasi broke up with Lori. <laughs> his entire life has come crashing down around him <laughs> in a few hours <laughs> yeah and you know i totally get where he's like well if she's gonna take me back then i'm not leaving <laughs> <laughs> but see i don't even know if it's about her at this point like i don't know how much of it is about her i, I mean I, I know part of it is but i think part of it is just he's terrified now that he's suddenly faced with the prospect of leave oh i'm leaving home tomorrow and i'm going i'm going far away mm. and i think part of that's like well, maybe I don't have to. Maybe I can do the safe thing. Maybe I can. And he sort of chickens out at the end. But I feel like part of him wanted an out. You know, part of him wants to do it, but part of him wanted it out. Because I feel like Kurt and Steve are two, the two sides of George Lucas. 
you know, when he left Modesto and it's, you know, he ended up leaving, but he was, there was the big pull for him to stay, you know, and he talks a lot about how his dad wanted him to stay and take over the family business. And yeah, there's a little part of George Lucas that always worries he could have ended up selling insurance in Modesto for the rest of his life. Right, right. And I think that's, I think he's showing like, well, this, maybe this is how it could have happened. Like you just, it's just one little nudge. Yeah. I don't know, because I really liked the idea when Kurt is talking to Wolfman Jack, and mm-hmm. Wolfman Jack is saying, like, you know, well, okay. Kurt is talking to Wolfman Jack, but he's pretending not to be Wolfman Jack. And he says, the real <laughs> Wolfman Jack travels the world, comes in here and tells me all these crazy stories. Uh-huh. And I sit here eating popsicles and playing the tapes. And what I liked about this movie, and I, I, I got to think about it now. I got to think about it in the macro. Because part of me was like, I like that the message is... You can stay or you can go as long as you don't get stuck and never do anything with your life. Like, like you right. can stay. You can stay in Modesto and it's fine or you can leave Modesto and that's fine, too. It's just two sides of a coin. And that was kind of the lesson because Kurt challenges him like, well, why don't you go? And he's like, basically, well, someone's got to play the tapes. You know, yeah. someone's got to be here. Yeah. And so it was like, OK, like there's no judgment on some people stay Right. Some people go, Kurt, they can both have perfectly good lives, la-di-da. But for some reason, I and I think, this is showing my own bias, actually, I think Rachel Doris and I talked about this, like, the first week of the show, when it was just the three of us, and I was talking about how, like, oh, but but Steve is the, the fate worse than death, because he never gets out of there. And I, I think it was Doris was like, Tierney, I think you're telling on yourself more <laughs> with that analysis than you are like actually <laughs> understanding the characters. Because I I think it is that I have that like, mm-hmm. oh God. And I, I blame entirely. I just mentioned I was an English minor, but I was a history major. <laughs> and I blame entirely. There was one year where... I had to read the Iliad for three different classes. (laughs) And I always blame that of like, you know, you have to make a name for yourself because as long as your name exists, you're not really dead. And so (laughs) like having that put on me at a young age was like, Mm -hmm. okay, okay. Like it's it's fine. It's fine if you just want to be a stay-at-home mom. But like also you secretly want to be a celebrity, right? Like just you can t- like blink twice if like this is still a mother's little helper sitch. Anyway. Well, does Paris does Helen count as going away or does she not count as going away? Because she wants to stay both places. Hmm. That was way off topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We if we get into analyzing the Iliad, that is a totally different podcast. One that I bet Rachel would be up for. But <laughs> But see, I, I think with Steve, I like I I feel like for him, he may have made the right decision, or he may not. It's hard. I, I, it yeah. seems like such a gray area. But it seems like both were valid choices for him. But he took the safe choice. But I, like I was really wondering, is he going to have just the nastiest midlife crisis in history? Because he's just going to be thinking, boy, what could have oh, been? What could have been? Have, I just called you Steve. I'm so sorry, Pete. Have you seen the sequel? More American? Graffiti? I have not. I've I've not heard good things about it, and I've not seen it. So here's the thing. I had not heard good things about it. Uh-huh. I've only seen it recently. Okay. I kind of liked it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I get... So here's the thing. It reminded me a lot of various like student films. Okay. Because it is four stories that are intercut, but that do not interact. Huh. And each one is filmed in a completely different style that reflects the year and story it's depicting. And so I get why a lot of people were like, this is incredibly jarring and not like fun to watch. 
But I huh. just kind of went with it and en- ended up enjoying it. <laughs> huh. But uh, Steve not only is having a midlife crisis, but has a mustache to match. <laughs> and then it gets even better because then we all did the math and we're like, he's like 25. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. He and Lori seem so middle-aged and they are played so square and they are in their like mid-20s in that film. <laughs> So anyway, that is that is a sneak peek for our episode on more American Graffiti coming up next week. Stay tuned, listeners. But here in in this scene, there were a few things I noticed. First of all, so Steve and Lori, you know, Steve pulls Lori off Bob, takes her into the field and says he's never going to leave. Mm -hmm. And Falfa is pulled away from the wreckage by John. He stumbles up the hill or he goes up the hill, and then when he stumbles, John, like, kind of puts his arm around and helps pull him up. Yeah. And I can only assume a million queer fanfics were launched by that one <laughs> thing. Yeah. Because they even match. They're kind of dressed yeah. similarly. Yeah. Um, good Lord, Paul Lamatt's legs look so long <laughs> in those black jeans. When he's running down the hill, it's just like, oh, my God. It's just like two legs. <laughs> little person on top. But for all that I'm, like, joking, Harrison Ford, Paul Lamott, and Cindy Williams sell this the hell out of the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's almost no buildup to yeah. the actual race itself. It's just them exchanging looks, and you get everything, all the tension from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And then, it, like, Bob goes, like, he has a complete transformation here as well. Like, he, you know, he goes from on top of the world thinking he's the greatest in the world, and... Maybe every you know everybody else is a little bit intimidated by him. To what happens? Like, does he spiral into a depression after this, or like, does he decide he's going to go away to college? <gasps> like, is he like, I, I'm going to go to the this East Coast? This is the problem with having seen the sequel. Although, actually, I knew this before because I had the films of Harrison Ford book as a teenager. Okay. Bob Felfa becomes a cop. <laughs> oh no! Like, like a motorcycle cop. Like, loves busting hippies. Smoking weed, um, well, late sixties cop. Yeah, so, I can maybe see that. I, you know, I, I don't like when that. I was a kid, I couldn't see it, but now that I have grown up and seen who <laughs> yeah. became cops, yeah, I exactly. do. I do see it. <laughs> yeah, his his car is totaled. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like he lost his manhood. Like that was that was or his identity. Mm-hmm. That was everything for him. Oh. And just because I can't let us end the action of that scene, like I said, we're, I'm kind of like working backwards <laughs> with this. <laughs> I have I've a very personal question to ask, and I would ask all our listeners to reflect on this too. Did you have a flashlight you loved when you were growing up? Because I think maybe that was a me thing that's weird. But I look at Toad's flashlight that he uses to signal <laughs> the start of the race, and I'm just like, that is the cheapest drugstore flashlight yeah. I've ever seen. I'm like, did he buy that at the liquor store like <laughs> with the batteries already in it? <laughs> It is. It's like the kind where you you're looking. Whenever you look for a flashlight, you find that one, yeah. and you turn it on, and it's super dim, and it's it's on for about eight seconds, and then it's it's dead. <laughs> I have a flashlight that is so dim. I mean, it is in name only. Yeah, I had. Um, my dad did a lot of construction work on our house, and so I thought I was the coolest kid because I had my own yellow square that take the big square rectangle batteries flashlight. Mm-hmm. Oh, workman's lamp, whatever they call it. Uh-huh. But those big yellow rectangle brick wow. flashlights. So I had that. And then my aunt took it to the mall and got it. My name airbrushed oh my onto God. the side That's at the amazing. kiosk in the mall so that it said tyranny and had like pink and purple spirals. That's around incredible. It. <laughs> That's incredible. It was the greatest flashlight ever. <laughs> But yeah, and then I know, like, at, when I worked at summer camp, 
like getting a mag light was a really big deal. Like, yeah, I remember, yeah. How I big was your mag light? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some people got the different colors. It was a whole <laughs> crazy world. I feel like those also, though, weren't great flashlights. They were just hefty. Hmm. Just useful. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't feel like the they were that bright. I just feel like they had a lot of weight. Huh. But maybe they were. Thank mine. Were, I don't remember them being dim in comparison. Hmm. But again, I'm comparing them to things like this. Where, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where it doesn't it doesn't take much to impress me. So yeah, Toad gets his fast and the furious moment here. Mm-hmm. He gets I like to how start he the race. Runs as fast as he can to get out of the way. Yes. Which <laughs> they're they're gone. They already passed, passed him. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who could blame him? But also yeah. a little unnecessary. Um and and the scene begins with all the cars driving up. So there we go. We looped back around with with maybe the greatest song in American history. I, uh, many I people adore Green Onions. I think it's like it's that classic Memphis soul sound. I absolutely love it. Green Onions is instrumental composition, and it's recorded in 1962. So it would have been a new hit. It came out in May. So this would have been like the song of the summer. Yeah. Maybe that back then, which I love because it is in another movie set in the summer of 1962. I would have first heard the song probably in the Sandlot. Because huh. I would have been allowed to watch that before I was allowed to wow. watch this. Nice. And so, yeah, they're the same summer, same song. <laughs> I was trying to think of like other songs that this reminded me of. When I started thinking like, okay, but what's an instrumental rock song? The only other thing I could think of was Rebel Rouser by Dwayne Eddy, which was on the Forrest Gump soundtrack, which every household was issued a copy of in 1995, <laughs> as far as I can tell. It was a great soundtrack. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying everyone had a copy. <laughs> but the song that it made me think of, especially for this scene, is uh, The Breeder's Cannonball. Huh. Because while that song does have lyrics... So it's not the same thing. It has almost a full minute of instrumental before the lyrics start. It has very recognizable, rhythmic <laughs> musical intro. Uh-huh. And it was used in A Walk to Remember in an incredibly similar scene with a bunch of teenagers driving their okay. cars out. So okay. I, oh, nice. in my in my brain, they are connected. <laughs> but Green Onion's obviously a little bit more famous. Uh, like you said, kind of a... a, a seminal record god what is the word i'm looking yeah, for yeah absolutely so and they, and they like i mean they booker t and the mgs together and separately played on so many famous soul records stacks records you name it they were on them and you know like the mgs were the band and the blues brothers like it was just like they were everywhere like that that's the sound like that's that yeah memphis soul sound and i will say i do like although i should have done more re- research of it they started in 1962 so, I mean, talk about hitting it out of the park right away. Like, yeah. this was like their first big hit, basically. <laughs> and it's Green Onion. And he was young, too. He was uh, he was super young when this came out. He was like 18, I think. Okay. Yeah, because he, he, I think it was after this came out that he went to... Because he, he graduated from Indiana School of Music, uh, where Jerry Porter and I went to school. And he, he was going to school there while he was recording. Like, on the weekends, he would record at Stacks, wow. And then on the week... During the week, he would go up to Indiana and go to school. Wow. Well, that is a perfect excuse for my shout out recommendation of the episode, which I'm saying shout out because I have not gotten to go yet. So I can't say if it's a recommendation, but it looks <laughs> like it is from the website. There is a Stax Museum in Memphis. Oh, I, I yeah, I've heard incredible things about that. It's the Stax Museum of American Soul Music, and it looks amazing. And it has been on my road trip list. <laughs> 
since I started making a road trip list and it was like, <laughs> okay, what else could I do in Memphis to like really flesh it out into a, f-? and it's like, oh no, I'm going to this. Yeah, that's a that's a road trip I started planning in 2008 and still have yet to take, if that's okay. any indication of uh, <laughs> how on top of things my friend Michelle and I are. <laughs> But yes, the museum looks amazing and they do have a pretty good online presence. So Okay, cool. You can hit them up even if you are nowhere near Tennessee. <laughs> so yeah, that was th- those were my notes on Green Onions. Uh, I did have a very fun time going down the rabbit hole of why it got the name Green Onions. People say different things, kind of an urban legend. Originally it was supposed to be like funky onions and then someone's like, that eh, sounds like you're trying to like Yeah euphemize something and she totally was well yeah (laughs) you're supposed to hide it better i guess there's been a lot of that on this podcast of the like okay well what do we think the lyrics originally were because these nonsense syllables probably weren't it (laughs) so you mentioned you were a fan of this movie and i assume you're a fan of the soundtrack to this movie because you're here so Mm -hmm. (laughs) do you remember like the first time you saw it, did it make a really big impact on you right away? I mean, I know now you respect it. And- I didn't see it. I didn't see it until like the probably the mid 90s. I think I saw it probably not too long before I saw the Phantom, <laughs> Phantom Minutes. Or no, it was a little, I don't remember when that came out. But yeah, I, like the second I saw this, I was just, I, this was amazing. It blew me away. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I know you do not partake of the car culture now. No. Nope. Were you a cruising sort of guy in high school? Nope. Nope. Okay. (laughs) I had a feeling. I had a feeling, but I did not want to assume, you know, you and I only know each other through podcasting. (laughs) I could have been wrong. There are a lot of nice flat straight roads in Indiana. So yeah, I I was not, although it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a thing, a big thing there. Which is funny because now I'm thinking of breaking away in bikes and yeah. But I wonder, like, I wonder if it's still a thing. Like, I wonder if that still happens, like, in the Midwest or in small towns. I feel like it's got to just because what else do you do? Well, now everyone's got it on their phones and on their games. Like, oh, I wonder if anyone even... Oh, that's true. Because back then, you didn't have anything else to do. That's true. You know what's funny? Not even back in 1962. I was just thinking the other day, I was trying to do, like, a digital detox, whatever, put my phone down more. Uh-huh. And, uh... I had this moment where I was just sitting there on my sofa like, what did I used to do all day? (laughs) Like in middle school. Yeah. I'd be off Saturday and Sunday. 48 hours. (laughs) What did I do? It's amazing. Yeah. Not much. I mean, I couldn't come up with much. (laughs) Pet a cat and watch George Lucas movies was about it. (laughs) No, I remember Jerry Porter and I used to, uh, when we were... It, in college in Indiana, we would sit like we would actually watch the cruising culture. Like we would mm. hang out on the sidewalk because you just—it was fun to just watch everybody going by and like it, everyone was kind of peacocking and you, everyone was doing their thing and everything. It was, it was pretty fun. I never had a car, so it was—it was never really an option. Not even a Vespa. <laughs> nope. I didn't. I didn't even learn to drive until I was like twenty something. I think. Oh, I—I will say. Just, I, I don't know if I'll bother leaving this in, but I am debating, like, can I go back and take car lessons now, like driving lessons now that I'm a grown up and would like be paying attention <laughs> because I lived in a city for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And so I would drive a car like twice a year. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, I'm really good at like leaving my parents' house and going to the church for Christmas Eve mass. <laughs> and like, that's it. 
And uh, now that I'm out in the suburbs, I'm like, this is kind of intimidating. Like, I keep being offered the car and being like, no, you can just drop me off. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to drive it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's it's so wild to me. And this is my own bias just because to me, getting that car when I was, well, it was when I was 16, it was when I was 17. Uh But that was, that was so huge to me. Like, that's freedom to so many people. It it was. It was life-changing. I can Uh actually remember the fight with my mother where I was like, I'm just going to leave the house (laughs) and go drive around. And in a few hours, I'll come back and this will all be over. Or not. Who knows? (laughs) It was amazing. Of course, I also remember the night that same year where I was like, I'm going to run away and I cannot take this anymore. (laughs) And I started putting clothes in a bag. And it's so funny. I was listening to Phantom Planet. And I know exactly which song because I every time I hear it now, I like I'm like, man, glad I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have someone you related to? Because I obviously was uh, pretty much in the Kirk camp. Or actually, I guess I always say like the person I relate to most in this movie is actually probably Carol. <laughs> OK. <laughs> or, like you're trying to hang out with the older kids and like <laughs> hope someone sees you being cool yeah. with the older kids. And of course, no one ever does. And then you're like, like I got to. I got to try and like enjoy this moment for what it is. <laughs> I see I feel like Kurt and Steve are both like the angel on each of my soul on each of my shoulders cuz I love mm. do I love taking chances but they also terrify me. So often, you know, I was young when I moved across the country or I you know, do travel someplace crazy or something like as badly as I want to and I usually end up doing it it still terrifies me every time. And part of me is is like Steve and just like, well, maybe I should just stay here where it's safe. Hmm. I think I've, I've never had Bob crash his car, so I've never done a Steve, <laughs> but I've always I've, I've always been right at the cusp of being a Steve. I think it's hard. Like it's, it's scary sometimes. Like it's it, being Kurt is hard. Yeah. Especially if Suzanne Summers doesn't call you. Yes. To like <laughs> say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, he gets he gets a pretty good send off, <laughs> gets to meet his hero and his dream girl does call him and talk on the phone. So <laughs> I talk a big game. I got to say, I found a picture of me on my last night before college. And holy crap, I'm a Steve. Oh, no. Like I, I did go to college, but I went to in-state school uh-huh. where I already knew half the people. I ended up being assigned. It was random. But actually, my freshman year, I was assigned to the same dorm room that my friend lived in the year before uh-huh. that I came to visit her at when I went to visit the college. Because <laughs> I also, my my best friend, so my best friend in high school was named Jerry and auditioned for the music school, but very different circumstances because she played the tuba. Oh. So, um, but yeah, she had to audition for the music school. So we went up and like spent the weekend there. And then the next year I got my dorm room assignment and I was like, this is this is the same room. So it's not like I really broke out on my own. And then I live I lived in the same hometown two blocks from the hospital I was born in, which is the same hospital my mother was born in. Uh-huh. And the same hospital her mother was born in. Wow. And the same hospital her mother worked in. Wow. She was born at home. <laughs> because <laughs> mean wow yeah i think i lived like 35 different places or something like we moved all the time okay i i definitely am more of a homebody than i remember and i i will try to remember to post that picture because i i was looking for something else and i happened to be in the photo album and i was like oh yeah this was the night before and i'm wearing like a blue polo shirt and khaki shorts i mean it is (laughs) it's a real i'm definitely channeling opie so (laughs) 
All right, well, did you have anything else you wanted to cover? Other than we got to get you a Vespa, but I mean, <laughs> it's fine. I'm, I'm happy with my transit pass. My, my blood pressure went down like so much when I stopped driving. Aww. It was amazing. <laughs> and we have these little scooter rental things here. I mean, they have like the stand-up scooters, but they also have like Vespa scooters you can rent. Like you just walk up with your phone and rent it. And I've never done it, but I like they, they're always parked outside. <laughs> so I could do the Vespa thing if I ever stopped being a Steve. There you go. In this day and age, I bet Toad would be on one of those like rentable <laughs> scooters, yeah. electric bikes, something. Yeah. Sorry. I just have to brag. It's the end of the season. Uh, my kid got his first car, sort of. Oh, my God. That car that is a, the most amazing car. It's not Power Wheels brand, but it's Power Wheels. Like, we all know. Uh, he is the land speeder from Star Wars. It's so, so cool. I'm pretty proud of that purchase. Because <laughs> I made it before he could, like, sit up on his own. Uh-huh. When Toys R Us was going out of business. And it was, like, 90% off. And I was oh, like... Oh, man. That's so cool. I-, I remember being in the Toys R Us and calling my dad and being like can I store this for three years? Like, will it be okay? And he's like, yeah. And so for three years, every major holiday, my father has pulled out the battery and charged it so that the battery wow. would still be good on this wow. thing. Uh, so that someday his grandson could drive a little land speeder around. Was it a surprise, complete surprise to him? Or did he had he seen it every year and be like, what's in the box? What is this thing? It was a complete surprise to him. Oh, that's amazing. He had no idea. And actually what's funny is... um. My dad brought it up still in the box and uh, we threw it in our basement because I was like, I never goes down there. And of course he started to go down there (laughs) and I like threw a tarp over it. So not only had he never seen it, but his interest was piqued. Oh, man. (laughs) Because he's like, what? What am I not allowed to see under that bright blue tarp? (laughs) And then he got to help build it and put it together. Does he still drive? Like, did it wear off? Like, did the novelty wear off or does he still drive it all the time? He's still pretty obsessed with it. The one thing is he's mostly only allowed to do it in the yard. Mm. We live in a pretty busy area. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get good traction on the grass, which uh, my friend pointed out is hilarious that I'm complaining about the traction on a land speeder. <laughs> like, so it's definitely like a bit of a team effort. But there are days where I'm like, look, I'm not getting it out. And he'll just go sit in it and press the buttons to make the noises. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> he doesn't need to go. Anywhere. He'll just sit on the screen porch and like play the sounds. <laughs> so, so hopefully he will look back fondly on his first car but that is neither here nor there that is not american graffiti so we're good on american graffiti great onions great song booker t and the mgs i had totally forgotten about the blues brothers connection yeah for all that i was reading about them i somehow just flipped right over that <laughs> we have a book about chickens and they go to a state fair and oh. moody chickens play the blues and it's two chickens in the suits with the glasses and i'm like this is blues brothers reference (laughs) so now i gotta play him some blues brothers (laughs) well i hope you are enjoying your summer p and uh i am thank you it's it's less eventful than this (laughs) i love in this scene the bravado of Lori Mm -hmm. yelling at john and then she immediately is like Except I've made a terrible mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that bravado is pure adrenaline. Yeah. And then as soon as she looks forward, she's like, except this guy's insane. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those things that like, you know, in their friendship, they're like, we're never going to speak of this again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, and I know that that was a mistake and we never need to say it out loud. (laughs) 
but it was not a mistake having you on. I always love Thank getting you. to talk to you. Thank you. I do too. I love talking to you too. So uh, if people want to hear more of your voice, where should they be looking? I guess it, uh, along with former guests of this show, Tom Taylor and Jerry Porter, we talk about Indiana Jones in a similar manner that you talk about American Graffiti. We do it one minute at a time, though, on the Indiana Jones Minute. I was like, are you being hesitant? Because I know Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has its problems, but it also <laughs> has some really great mo- Like, No, I enjoy, I actually, I, I don't think it's a great Indiana Jones movie, but I enjoy it. Like, I think it's fun to watch. Okay. Yeah. I realized that I was like kind of mentally fast forwarding a bunch of scenes that were way longer than I remembered them being. Uh But I still maintain that it is worth the par, let's say par, occasionally subpar actually for the moments that are good are real good. Yeah. So yeah. It, it gives me a lot of hope for Indy 5. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, so fingers crossed for Indy 5. Fingers crossed for me getting my act together. I'm going to plug myself real quick just to say, follow me on social media at One Steel Sister, O-N-E-S-T-E-E-L-E-S-I-S-T-E-R, because I started writing an Indy 5 fanfic a couple years ago, and now that it's being discussed all the time, I kind of <laughs> want to finish it just to like say no really i did this before the movie you know you absolutely have to yeah just in case i guessed anything right i don't yeah. want them to think like i got it i just copied it from the movie <laughs> um so if i figure out a how to finish that and b how to release it i i will figure out but it's it's fanfic like <laughs> if i could figure out how to put fanfic on the internet in 1998 i'm sure i can figure it out today so uh yeah if you watch my social media eventually there will be something there <laughs> And of course, come back tomorrow for the aftermath. It is not Felfa and Milner walking off into the sunrise <laughs> together, uh, but it's still a pretty good after action report. So yeah, we'll do, we know, do we know it's not? I can see them walking off together. Well, at least not in the next scene. We don't know what happens the next night. Felfa no longer has a car. Yeah, someone's going to have to give him a ride home. That seems to be so, what Milner does. There we go. I like your head, <laughs> It's not accurate. He goes off the toad, but I like that. <laughs> he does give him his hat back. I know that's very important to Harrison Ford characters. Yeah. He's really fast, isn't he?